Our call to worship is some words from Psalm 121 in the message paraphrase. God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. And so let's come to God in prayer. Today, God of love, we woke up and made the choice to come to church, leaving home in broad daylight, in full view of our neighbours. And however we have travelled, we came in through the door, along with all these other people. Today, God of love, we thank you for the freedom we have to express our faith. Without fear of arrest, or even of ridicule, knowing that in this place we will be with other people who are trying to follow Jesus. Today, God of love, we say sorry for the moments when we have ridiculed others for how they look or how they sound, for what they wear or what they think or believe. And we ask you to help us to treat others the way we would like to be treated. Today, God of love, we are glad that you love us just as we are. That you came to us as Jesus, who loves us, and all that you have made so much that he brings new life and new hope. Amen. Our reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. John 3, starting at verse 1. One of the Pharisees, called Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish council, came to Jesus by night. Rabbi, he said, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform these signs of yours unless God were with him. Jesus answered, in very truth I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he has been born again. But how can someone be born when he is old? asked Nicodemus. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, In very truth I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born from water and spirit. You ought not to be astonished when I say you must all be born again. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born from the Spirit. How is this possible? asked Nicodemus. You are a teacher of Israel and ignorant of such things, said Jesus. In very truth, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, and yet you all reject our testimony. If you do not believe me when I talk to you about earthly things... How are you to believe if I should talk about the things of heaven? No one has gone up into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
in order that everyone who has faith may in him have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who has faith in him may not perish, but have eternal life. It was not to judge the world that God sent his Son into the world, but that through him the world might be saved. No one who puts his faith in him comes under judgment, but the unbeliever has already been judged because he has not put his trust in God's only Son. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people prefer darkness to light because their deeds were evil. Wrongdoers hate the light and avoid it for fear their misdeeds should be exposed. Those who live by the truth come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that God is in all they do. Lent is a fairly short season of the church year in which we are invited to prepare ourselves spiritually for the commemoration of Holy Week and the celebration of Easter. And it seemed to me a good idea that this year we use the time just a tiny bit differently from usual, allowing ourselves a bit more time each week for personal private reflection within the context of public worship. What that means is that instead of me talking for 20 minutes, as I usually do, or 25, I'll talk for around about 10 minutes, aiming at around about 1,000 words, that come from thinking about the passage that's set for the week. And then after a short song or a chant, we will have some silent meditation done together. And then we'll sing again. So rather than one long talk, it's a short talk and some space to think, reflect, pray, whatever. One of the key features of John's Gospel is the extended accounts of encounters between Jesus and various people. And the lectionary draws our attention to a number of these during the season of Lent. Now, it would be completely wrong to say I'm going to preach on any of these passages. Rather, I'm hoping that we can engage with the stories imaginatively and creatively using them perhaps as a mirror in which we can glimpse our own reflection rather than just a window into somebody else's world and somebody else's life. Today, we meet Nicodemus, whose nighttime visit to Jesus is the context for the most frequently quoted verse in the whole Bible, and whose story is very often lost as we focus our attention on that tiny little part of what Jesus had to say. But what do we know about Nicodemus? We are told that he is a Pharisee and a Jewish leader. In these words, he's identified as a powerful, well-educated man, religiously orthodox, and employed in the enormous task of reflecting on the law and seeking to discern its meaning for his own day and age. In my experience, Pharisees are usually portrayed as the bad guys, with little or no understanding of who or what they actually were. They were actually very concerned about the influence of Greek thinking on religious understanding, 
a radical movement that emerged firmly committed to the Jewish tradition of interpreting the law by debates and by reflecting on the sayings of the elders. So far from a backward-looking set of people, they recognised that the world around them was changing. And they tried to work out how best can we interpret the law in this context. The law reflected a bygone age even then. Technology had advanced and then things happened that weren't around when the law was written. And it has to be said that a generous view of their endeavours would see them not so far away from some of our Baptist understandings about interpreting Christ's laws in community and by conversation. Not sure we always manage that one, but that's what we claim. At the time that Jesus lived, the Pharisee movement was roughly a century old and was becoming very influential. And that is evidenced by the fact that Nicodemus was a Jewish leader, quite possibly part of the Sanhedrin. Pharisees had firm beliefs in resurrection and the expectation of a messianic age. These were very earnest men, devoted to studying the law and the oral tradition, helping to formulate what would be known as the Mishnah, a substantial commentary on the Torah that was completed roughly around 2000 in the Common Era. And just if you're interested, the later Jewish writings that form the Talmud were completed around the same time as the Christian canon of scripture was closed. So a lot going on in understanding law in both traditions at that time. Far from a bad guy then, Nicodemus is an orthodox Jew, a keen scholar and a deep thinker who longs to better understand his own faith. He's a man of rank. He's well-respected and has huge responsibility. Who he is seen with, who he talks to, what he does will not go unnoticed or unremarked about. And so he chooses to come to see Jesus when it's dark, when the streets are quiet and there is little chance of anybody seeing. Maybe... He's afraid of gossip or ridicule. But his curiosity about the Galilean preacher overcomes him, and so he comes by night to see Jesus. Poor Nicodemus. Hardly has he opened his mouth than Jesus starts speaking in riddles about rebirth. Something that Nicodemus understands literally when Jesus is using language of metaphor and symbol. The conversation that follows is very familiar to us and it seems that Jesus might even be a little bit mocking of this man whose book learning is so great but understanding so little. I wonder how Nicodemus felt. Having made this very bold and brave decision to come and talk to Jesus, having carefully thought about what he wanted to discuss... He'd been catapulted into a conversation that blew his mind. The account we have of what Jesus says is shot through with language of opposites, above and below, light and dark, which echoed the very Greek influence that the Pharisees railed against. It must have been quite a shock for poor Nicodemus. As a story... 
it's very unsatisfactory. There's no nice ending. And this is something we find over and over again as we read John's, John's Gospel. Just as we're getting interested, just as we're starting to wonder what happened next, what did Nicodemus make of Jesus' talk of spiritual birth, of bronze snakes lifted up as a means of salvation, or those wonderful, familiar words expressing God's universal love in the giving of the only Son of God to expedite full salvation? Why did he make of any of that? Because nobody tells us. We can only wonder what he was thinking about as he made his way home from this strange encounter. Was it by now getting light? Was he still worried about being seen? How was he feeling? Was he annoyed? Was he insulted? Was he excited? Was he convinced? Was he bemused or confused? Rather unusually, in John's Gospel, we get two more glimpses into Nicodemus's life, and perhaps that's helpful for us. In John 7, we read of a rather heated exchange between Jesus and some of the Pharisees in or near the temple around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's, again, a very strange story. Jesus seems to have changed his mind, having said, no, I'm not going to go to the festival in Jerusalem. And then he does go to the festival. And it culminates in people who are so angry that they want to arrest Jesus there and then. And into all of that comes the voice of one Nicodemus, scholar of the law, seeker of understanding, who says... According to our law, we cannot condemn people before hearing them and finding out what they have done. And for that moment, that dissipates the anger and things kind of calm down again. Whether or not he's now a secret disciple of Jesus, as some have suggested, Nicodemus now is willing to risk the ridicule of the the crowd who turn to him and they say, in a near parallel of Jesus' earlier derision of his status as Israel's teacher, they say, and are you from Galilee? Study the scriptures and you'll know that no prophet comes from Galilee. Poor Nicodemus, he's trying so hard. He's studying, he's wanting to get his head around it and everybody seems to be ridiculing him. But then he makes one last appearance in John's Gospel, in chapter 19, where he accompanies Joseph of Arimathea to assist in burying Jesus. Jesus, who first went by night to see Jesus, now comes with Joseph, taking with him what scripture tells us is a hundred pounds of spices, a mixture of myrrh and aloes. Um, now, this would have been a very weird sight. This orthodox religious Jew carrying such large quantities of spice that it weighed something like two sacks of spuds. That's a mighty big load for him to be carrying. He couldn't hide that. You couldn't shove it under your cloak and nobody would notice. So now he comes and enters the garden to help with the burial rites of Jesus as, once again, 
night falls. And I wonder what thoughts and feelings he experienced then. Did he remember that earlier night when the warm, witty preacher had teased him and toyed with his thoughts? How would his encounter with Jesus influence his ongoing reflections on life and faith? And what about us? How are we like Nicodemus the Pharisee, the guardian of tradition and interpreter for a new era? As we sit in our own shadows and hear the words of Jesus, what's going on for us? So now we're going to have some time for personal reflection on that story and anything that might have arisen from it for you. And it's going to be about 10 minutes of silence, which I know is quite challenging if you're not used to it. So to help us out, um, if you would like to, I have a poem, I have a picture that will appear on the screen and also some questions. Um, So I'm going to just invite you to pass those out Um, to those around you. At the back in the snug, we have some paper. There are pencils, crayons. If doodling or drawing is your thing, that's absolutely fine. Feel free to move around and do that. If you feel you need to move around, um, that's fine. Just try to do so quietly, bearing in mind that um, other people will be sitting quietly and reflecting. Uh, The way it's going to work is when I hit the button, a picture will appear on the screen and there is some music that lasts about two and a half minutes just to help us um, as this is the first time we're doing this. And then after 10 minutes, um, that slide will automatically move back to the Culhead Baptist Church logo, which is a sign to finish reflecting and then we will sing again. So 10 minutes of silent personal reflection. Earlier, Katrina mentioned that uh, verse in the Bible that I've always considered to be the key to the whole thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, of course you love the world, the beautiful South Sea Islands, the Blue Mountains, Loch Lomond, all these lovely scenic bits. What about the deserts, Sahara, the earthquakes? the tsunamis, the avalanches. Is that not also your world? This morning we pray for everyone caught up in natural disasters and those who live on with the after effects long after world attention has 
gone somewhere else. Of course you love the world. You love Desmond Tutu, missionaries, doctors, nurses, social workers. And at this time we remember and give thanks now for all those who give up their lives, their time, and their careers for the good of others. May they know your presence in times of loneliness, tension, and despair. But what about the not-so-good? What about the Taliban? Boko Haram? What about the suicide bombers? What about Assad and Putin and Kim Jong-un? What about the bankers and the drug dealers? We pray for all caught up in war and oppression, for refugees in Syria and Nigeria, for people everywhere living in fear of racial and religious persecution. May they find safety, nourishment, and healing. We pray also for the passengers and the relatives of passengers on Malaysian Airways flight MH370. Still, with no idea of what's happened. We remember them this morning. But we pray also for the oppressors. You love them too. May they come to realize that love is stronger than fear and that no matter what their power may be on this earth, they will eventually face an even greater power. You gave your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, that bit's easy, that's us. We believe we're okay. We know we're loved. But what does it mean to believe? Do we really believe? What did Nicodemus feel as he finished that conversation? Did he believe? Do we believe, do we have faith in the way that matches your overwhelming love? Loving God, we confess that when we look at your example of love, of giving, we fall far short. Help us, we pray, to love the world and those we share it with in a way that justifies your love for us. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do or say. We ask and think of it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we go from here, may we, like Nicodemus, 
continue our journey of discovering who Jesus is and employ what we discover in the service of God's kingdom of love and peace, now and always. Thank you.